Good to see you all this morning. Good to be back here. Today's message is the last in our short summer series on the Proverbs. Um, our strategy here is to just look at Proverbs thematically. There's like 800 Proverbs or more, and we could never cover them all on Sunday mornings. <laughs> Kill us all. But, but I hope that you'll read all of the Proverbs. Uh, but we've been looking at the Proverbs from different angles, different themes, highlighting some of the topics that the Proverbs most frequently address. Things like how we work and how we play, how we walk and how we talk. And today, we've come to what I think is the grand finale of the Proverbs, which is how we give. So if you'll turn to chapter 11, be looking at those verses that we heard read. Thank you, Casey, very much for reading. And as you turn there, let me pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word, the Old Testament and the New Testament, for wisdom and psalms and for the gospel that we heard. We thank you that you speak to us in so many ways. We praise you for the life that comes through your word and the light that we are able to see the world through through your word. And so please shine your light upon us. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to understand, to believe, and to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. So wisdom is the main idea in Proverbs. It's what all the Proverbs are talking about in one way or another. But the goal of Proverbs isn't necessarily to make us smart or to raise our IQs. Uh, wisdom isn't about how much we know, rather it's skill for living. Skill for living particularly in God's world. The world that God made, the way that he designed it, living in alignment with that and, when, and in alignment with him. Like an expert carpenter who knows how to work with the grain of the wood, so also wise women and wise men learn from God how to work with the world that he's made, how to live faithfully within it with the grain of his world. So the Proverbs conceive of wisdom in a way that's very different from the world today. Ask the guy on the metro next to you what he thinks is wisdom. And of course, he'll act like he didn't hear you. Or maybe he'll get up and move to another seat. But if, if by chance he were to actually answer you, he would probably say something like, you know, be very bright. Ask him to describe someone who is wise, and he might choose someone with a, with a high IQ, some famous astrophysicist or a mathematician or something like that. That's not wisdom, according to the Bible. Ask the Proverbs to describe someone who's exceptionally wise. What do the Proverbs give us? They take us to the end of the book of Proverbs to this wonderful acrostic poem called the, the Poem of the Valiant Woman, the Proverbs 31 Woman, as she's sometimes called. She's not particularly famous. She's just a hardworking businesswoman who fears the Lord and whose family rise up and call her blessed. She's not someone whom you would ask to explain astrophysics, but she is most certainly someone who you could come to and ask for advice about how to live in this world. How not just to survive, but also to thrive. All of the essential and practical details of life, 
she would know because she is wise. She's an expert at living in the world God made. The surprising thing to me about the valiant woman is how much time she spends making money. She's very busy with all kinds of enterprises. She's into textiles and wine and real estate. If you read that proverb uh, and just take note of all the things that she's working on, it's pretty extraordinary. The goal, though, and this is really the key of, of all of the whole teaching of Proverbs on wealth and on generosity, the goal for her is not to be rich. The goal for her is to be generous, to have enough for herself, for her family, in fact, to have more than enough and to be able to give that to others in need. There's obviously a huge staff who work for her to support all of her enterprises and they in turn are supported by her because of all of the work that she's undertaking. And then there's also everyone else in the community who benefits from her efforts. They're buoyed up by her efforts. And so it says in Proverbs 31, she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. And this is what I really believe is the telos or the trajectory of the Proverbs. It's taking us in this direction of, of growing in wisdom to the point that we are able to work in God's world wisely, to be able to have abundantly, and to be able to bless others, to live a life of generosity. Now, this will look different from person to person. It really will. It's not necessarily about being free with your cash. Over the past week, our family witnessed a wonderful outpouring of God's generosity um, in the wake of a tragedy. My nephew, Quint Tabor, was killed in a military exercise. He was a young Green Beret in the Army, and um, he tragically died. Um, we ended up going down to Florida as a family, and we went to be with, with our larger extended family there. And many, many people gathered from all across the country for Quint's funeral. We saw this wonderful outpouring of generosity uh, as people came. And they were young and old, rich and poor, from all different walks of life. Some people gave gifts uh, of, of money. And this was really helpful. There was a GoFundMe campaign uh, that raised $20,000 to help all of the family and friends from Montana and Alaska and California and Tennessee and Oregon, these people flying in to Florida on the spur of the moment. And that was really helpful. Some gave gifts of honor. And at his funeral, um, the other Green Berets came through one by one and took off one of their medals and hammered it into the top of his casket. And it was very powerful. They were gave, giving gifts of honor um, for their fallen comrade. Some gave material gifts, people who lived in the area of room and board uh, and transportation, picking people up from the airport, cooking uh, great southern comfort food and serving us whiskey and all kinds of things that blessed us while we were down there. Um, and then there were many other gifts of love. The, eulogies and the pictures and hugs and uh, parties and, and just overall the time that was given by these many people who came to honor our nephew. Now why am I telling all of this, sharing all of this with you? I want to give you 
a picture of generosity that is much broader than just being free with your cash. I hope you understand that. Not all of us have an extraordinary amount of wealth to give away, but all of us can be generous. Um, most of us actually living here have pretty tight margins because it's such an expensive city and frugality is not something to be ashamed of in a city like this. It's a part of God's wisdom. So I don't want to shame you in that regard. Uh, but just because you can't be fabulously generous with money doesn't mean that you can't be generous because generosity is about sharing whatever you do have. And if God is at work in your life, you are blessed. You do have a lot, one way or another. Those who came to my nephew's funeral last week, especially the young people who didn't have much cash, showed us many other forms that generosity can take. Back to the Proverbs. Uh, what the Proverbs teach us is that generosity like this isn't just the loving thing to do, but it's also the wise thing to do. Wise people are generous. Generosity is another way and one of the most important ways of going with the grain of God's universe rather than against it because God himself is generous. So it's becoming like him. And if we look at the Proverbs, we'll see many, many reasons to be generous. I want to show you three as we look at chapter 11 today. So look at verse 4, first of all. And uh, here's, here's, a, here's one reason to be generous, because you can't take it with you. Um, Jesus says this in a number of ways in the Gospels. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or in the parable of the rich fool, he describes this man who keeps tearing down his barns and building bigger barns in order to hold all of the stuff that he's accumulating. And one night he, he dies and he wakes up to meet his maker and he realizes that all that he had been hoarding was of no use to him from that point on. Absolute worthlessness of his stuff after his death. Now Jesus, when he taught these things in the Gospels, he wasn't teaching anything new. He was just representing the wisdom of the Proverbs. And if you look at Proverbs 11, chapter 4, you'll see that here it is. Here's this nugget uh, from which Jesus takes the same idea. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Righteousness here in verse 4, is a word that means a lot of different things to different people, especially us as American Christians, um, especially because our faith oftentimes gets so intermingled with the political right or the political left. And um, we have to understand that the Bible means something different by righteousness. And it's biblical righteousness rather than riches that will deliver us from death. The idea of righteousness in the Bible is one, again, of total alignment with Almighty God. Total alignment with Him in His world. Both sin and folly run against God's design for the world. But the righteous person, on the other hand, loves God and loves neighbor 
such that he or she becomes a fountain or a conduit of God's grace, God's blessing to the people all around. So one reason why generosity is the way of wisdom is because you can't take it with you. You can't take your wealth with you. If I can paraphrase Proverbs 11.4, I might say it like this. It says, hoarding whatever God has given you is stupid because you can't take it with you. Instead, let it flow through you so that you can be a blessing to others for the glory of the Lord. So that's one reason. A second reason is that generosity benefits everybody. Look at verses 9 through 12. Not only is hoarding stupid, but so also is the zero-sum mindset or worldview. That also runs against the grain of God's world. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, and then he steals from his neighbor, because in a world without God, the only way to win is for everyone else to lose. Wise people understand that the world is not zero-sum. Wise people know that God's resources are infinite. He continues to give generously to his people. His wealth is never depleted, and so God's people are never, ever in a place where they run dry. We can give to others, trusting that our loving, loving Heavenly Father will continue to supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. Again, biblical generosity is not solely about what we do with our money. Uh, Andrew, in his sermon last Sunday, taught that also our speech is tremendously important. It's, it's powerful. Our, our words do matter. Um, and, and our speech is valuable. Words are one of the most important things that we can give because they have power both to bless and to curse. So Proverbs 11, verse 9, with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. Look at verse 12, that's also in parallel with 9. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Fools bring this zero-sum mindset to the neighborhood. They figure that by cursing and tearing down the people around them that they themselves will get taller. But what's bad for the neighborhood is bad for you. If neighbors are torn down, you'll soon follow. That's why whoever belittles his neighbor, verse 12, is a fool. It's bad for everybody. The wise bless their neighbors, or at the very least, refrain from cursing them. And why is that? Because this goes with the grain of the world that God made the world that was first created by God's words and blessed by his words and continues to be held together by his words. We who know the Lord are blessed with an infinite supply of God's word. It never runs out. It never goes stale. It never becomes irrelevant. God's word continues to supply us with wisdom and direction all of our lives. And so we can be generous because there's no zero sum in God's economy. If we are conduits of God's word, his blessings will flow through us 
to all of our neighbors, to the, and the whole neighborhood will benefit all across this city. Think about every neighbor, all of the neighborhoods, everywhere where God's word is, is moving out and being a blessing to others. We mustn't only bless those who bless us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that if we just bless those who bless us, we're just like the rest of the world. He presses us to go so far as to love our enemies. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same thing? But if we love our neighbors, including those who don't love us, it will become contagious. Look at the two verses here in between, verses 10 and 11. Chapter 11, verse 10. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. For the blessing, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Because righteous people live in alignment with God's design. They love both God and neighbor. So when, when God's blessings come to people who are truly righteous and upright, the city rejoices. The city is exalted. That's what this proverb is saying. Because they have come to expect the ripple effects of God's grace. Every time I read these verses, I think back to when President Obama was elected back in 2008. I remember everywhere across the city, African Americans spilled out of their homes and were celebrating in the streets. I've never seen anything like it. It was such a, an enormous party all across the city, all, all the way through to the next day, I remember. Um, it was so exciting and so fun. The whole city was rejoicing because Obama's victory signaled better days to come for all the African Americans in the city. And I think that's what should be happening throughout the city whenever good things happen to Christians. Whenever it goes well with us, as this proverb is saying, our neighbors ought to get excited because, and this is key, because it has been their experience in the past that whenever we are blessed, they somehow inevitably share in the blessings. Whenever we are blessed, they get the spoils. Going forward then, whenever we are blessed, they celebrate in anticipation of the good things that are going to come. I could illustrate this with Pavlov's dog, but I don't think that would be appropriate. I thought about it, but I'm not going to say it, actually. So forget I said that. Um, how might this principle play out here in real life? On a larger scale on the hill, it might look like our neighbors rejoicing every time we win another gift or grant for the renovation of this building. Because they anticipate being able to see more plays, to enjoy more concerts, for their children to have more educational options and so on. Because it is good for them that this place is being renewed and transformed. How might it go for you in your neighborhood where you live? On a smaller scale, it might, it might look like this at work or at school on Monday morning, coworkers and classmates could be giving thanks for the wisdom and the love and the honor that you share with them 
because of what you experienced with the Lord here on Sunday. Because there is this overflowing blessing that comes from being in worship together. And it becomes transformative on Monday out in the places where God calls us. Of course, there are infinitely more possibilities as long as we remain willing to share the grace that God keeps pouring out upon us. Tim Keller has spoken about this particular verse, Proverbs 11.10, a number of times. Um, I commend to you the messages that he has done. I love the way he frames what this verse should mean for us. He says, are you the kind of person that everyone else in your neighborhood says, I don't believe what that person believes, but I shudder to think what this neighborhood would be like without them. They're pressing so much value into our neighborhood that I don't know how we could replace them. Again, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. When, as we heard in the gospel lesson, when he saw this greedy little man up in the tree, he knew exactly what to do, didn't he? He called him out by name, Zacchaeus. And he, he invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Give me shawarma, give me hummus, give me a place to stay out from the sun. And Jesus didn't, didn't need any of these things. Jesus didn't need Zacchaeus' care or hospitality. But Zacchaeus did, right? Poor Zacchaeus had believed in the lie of the zero sum, maybe all of his life. He, he'd been thinking this way so long that he'd become constipated and bloated with his riches. It all just got stuck in him. This greedy little man bloated with wealth, and Jesus knew what he needed. So instead of remaining a cul-de-sac, Jesus freed him up. <laughs> Zacchaeus was able to give to Jesus, and because he gave to Jesus, Jesus started this, this experience of blessing that came to Zacchaeus' house as Jesus' generosity to him started to assure him that he would have more than enough. And so what does he do? How does he respond to Jesus, to Jesus' grace? He says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. He knows. He knows that the Lord is going to supply all of his needs and more. He can trust in the Lord. God's grace began to flow into him and through him. And there's, there's something that's just wonderful about that. It's such a wonderful experience. So, these reasons. Hoarding is stupid because you can't take it with you. Don't be a cul-de-sac. Be a conduit. Let God's generosity flow through you so that you might be a blessing to others. And this zero-sum mindset is stupid because when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices and everyone wins. One last reason. Generosity is good for us too. Generosity always wins because it's God's way and God blesses those wise people who go with the grain of his world. Look at verses 23, 24, and 25. The desire of the righteous ends only in good the expectation of the wicked in wrath. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. 
See, the Proverbs just keep saying it over and over and over again. Trust in the Lord to supply all your needs and keep sharing what he gives you. He will not leave you or forsake you. He will take care of you. So give freely to others and keep looking to him to give you even more. And you yourself will be blessed. He will take care of you. And the proof, of course, is the Lord Jesus himself who was kind enough to visit Zacchaeus in Jericho on his way up to Jerusalem, right? Jesus did not hoard all that he was given. Rather, he took Zacchaeus' place up in the tree, if you think about it. The righteous for the unrighteous, so that Zacchaeus and, and you and me might all become righteous. We had no hope of being righteous apart from him. Jesus gave everything, even his own life, so that we might no longer block the flow of God's grace, so that we might no longer be constipated, that we might be conduits of God's grace for a world waiting for us to give. Jesus suffered and died for us so that we might be made radically and joyfully generous like him. Verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. We are stewards of the riches of our infinitely generous God. We can give in wisdom, trusting in the Lord to keep abundantly blessing us for all eternity. So putting all of this together, let me encourage you in this way of life. Giving in wisdom. It may be scary at first. But you'll find that it is so good for your soul, so good for your whole life to become a generous person. When you go home today, think, how can I be more generous? Where are there needs that I can give one way or another to meet? Just like everything else in the Christian life, generosity is a leap of faith. We have to think about it this way. I really believe it helps to see it this way. Starting out with Jesus is a leap of faith. Daily prayer is a leap of faith. Coming to worship every Sunday is a leap of faith. And so is generosity because it requires us to believe in a God whose wealth is infinite, whose disposition towards us is benevolent and generous. We have, we, when we give, we are trusting in him that he will keep giving to us. And for some reason, believing in this often is a lot harder for us than all of the other things. Do you believe that Jesus, the Son of God, was incarnate by the Virgin Mary? Yeah? Great. Do you believe he lived a perfect, sinless life? Yeah? Amazing. Do you believe that he died for our sins? Fantastic. <laughs> Do you believe that he he rose again on the third day. It's a huge miracle. You believe it? Wonderful. He poured out his spirit upon the church. Fantastic. Do you believe that if you give generously, that God will supply all your needs? Now you're pushing too far, brother. That's a leap. It is. It's a leap. It's a leap of faith. And it's not unwise. That's what the Proverbs are teaching us. It is not stupid. 
to trust in God, who is infinitely generous and loves to care for his children in this way. We can give in wisdom, generously, trusting in our Lord who supplies all our needs. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this hope as well. A hope of life forever, forever with you, resurrection life. And thank you for this hope that even now you will supply all of our needs abundantly so that we can be generous people. Show us today as we leave this place all the ways that we can give more generously. And we will trust in you for all we need and more. In Jesus' name, amen.